Hey, uh, I just want to say thanks for um, being here. It, it is, it's, it's meaningful to me, um, and I hope to you, uh, because I've been at this church for a really long time, and I really believe uh, that Coast Bible Church is a special place. Um, I believe that what happens here is it's consecrated, it's special, um, because we really do attend to the Word of God. We don't just gloss over it. Um, we, we really embrace it and, and let it guide our lives. And so thanks for being uh, here with us. If you've been with us uh, for a while, you do know that we're in a series, uh, Fresh Look at the Old Book. Uh, we, we're looking at uh, maybe stories and characters that even if you don't have a huge church background, you might be familiar with. Uh, you might not, but you might be. Um, last week, we met uh, Jacob. Jacob, we, uh, he, he was kind of, a, kind of a scoundrel, and we actually met him last week at the worst point in his life, where, where things had gotten really, really bad for him. Um, and I, if, if you weren't here last week, I do want to catch you up because we're literally just continuing the story. So I, I wouldn't, I would like to just read, um, the, the text from last week so you know where we're at. And, cause we're about to hear Jacob's response. This is, uh, last week, this is the, um, the stairway to heaven, as it were, the ramp up to heaven. If you've heard uh, of that song by Led Zeppelin, this is where it comes from. It says, uh, Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. He came to a certain place and stayed there for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the, of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down there. Then he had a dream. Look, a ramp was set up on the ground with its top reaching the heavens. And there, God's angels were going up and down it. And there, Yahweh was standing next to him. Uh, he said, I am Yahweh, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. I will give you the ground you're lying on to you and to your descendants. Your descendants will be like the earth's dust. You'll spread to north, south, east, west. Every family on earth will be blessed because of you and your descendants. Jacob, listen, I am with you. I will guard you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land because I will not leave you until I have done what I promised you. And we saw that this took place uh, right after Jacob had swindled his father, cheated his brother. His brother was trying to kill him. Because uh, he'd stolen all of his brother's money. He's on the run. His whole family has abandoned him. He expects God to abandon him too. And then God sends this dream or God uses this dream to show him that what he thought was true wasn't true. In fact, I am Yahweh and I am with you. I will keep you. I will guard you. It's this incredible act of grace. Jacob doesn't deserve it. God comes after him and gives him the grace anyway. We've seen this over and over and over in the Old Testament. People think the Old Testament's about rules and laws, but really it's all about God's grace, his jumping out into people's lives and taking hold of them and giving them good things and trying to save them over and over. And I'd like us to ask a question today. How do we respond to God's grace? How do we respond? There are some people here who have never experienced God's grace. But here's the good news. The good news is because you're here, because you're here, I can guarantee you, you're going to experience God's grace. Because if you've showed up, if you've, if you've made, gone to the trouble, uh, your, your spouse dragged you in, if you're here, I guarantee you at some point, the message of redemption and new life is going to start sinking in, and you're start, going to start realize, wow, I'm forgiven in Christ, I have redemption, I have eternal life, life that's divine, God's very life can live in me, I have purpose, I have meaning, everything that, that God is about to give me is real, it's not fake, it's not a fairy tale, and when that hits you, when you get to that place, when you understand that, and you become en- enmeshed in God's grace, how ought you to respond? What should you do? 
There are some people here who at one point in your life, maybe it was a long time ago, maybe if you're Doreen Dome, it was a couple weeks ago when you were miraculously healed from cancer. Praise God. Maybe at some point you've experienced God's grace. And, I don't know, you did something. Maybe you even have like a, a way that you respond. When God does good things for you, you have something that you do. Uh, maybe, and maybe you're not even aware of it. Maybe it's a pattern in your life where it just sort of happens. And you're not really aware of it. Today, we're going to become aware of it. We're going to see what we do. We're going to see Jacob, how he responds. And we're going to see ourselves in that. And we might see how not to respond to God's grace. So let's read uh, the text for today. This is my translation uh, from the Hebrew. I do my best to keep um, the idiosyncrasies of Hebrew, kind of the, the syntax, but also make it really easy to understand. So um, let's read. He's just had this awesome dream. Then Jacob woke from his sleep and said, Yahweh is definitely in this place, and I had no idea. He was in awe and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than God's house. This is the gate to the heavens. Early in the morning, Jacob took the stone he had put under his head, his, his pillow stone, and set up a pillar and pulled, poured oil over it. He called that place Bethel. Before, however, the name of the city had been Luz. And Jacob, then he took a vow. He says, if God will be with me and guards me on this journey I'm taking and gives me food to eat and clothes to wear and I return in peace to my dad's home, then Yahweh will be God for me. This stone that I've set up as a sacred pillar will be God's house. And everything that you give me, God, I will give back a tenth to you, religiously. I mean, this, yeah, like, I, I've never had a dream like this where, um, I, you know, I, I have fun dreams, um, but I don't, I don't ever, I, I, well, I guess it's maybe it's happened, but where you, you wake up and your life has changed because of your dream. You're like, wow, what a great dream. Well, that's kind of Jacob's situation. Uh, look, look at the text. This is interesting um, beginning. He, uh, he's awe and awesome. So the first thing he does, he wakes up from the dream. And remember, he's been sleeping in like the middle of nowhere. He's by himself. He's been, his head's been on the rock. Um, he's been you know, having crazy dreams. He wakes up and he says, wow, he's in awe. How awesome is this place? If you're used to older translations, it'll say things like, he was afraid, and this is a terrible place. How terrible is this place? How frightening, how scary. It's because uh, the Hebrew word um, for, for scared or afraid is the word that's used here. The thing is, um, when they used to do translations, they would all, every time they see this word, they would always say afraid, 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 afraid. But that's not how language works. We all know this because um, if I say, ooh, look at that cat. Well, so we, we took the kids to um, the wild animal park uh, in San Diego. And uh, they were just bored out of their minds. They just didn't care. But I was shocked. I was, I'd, been, I'd been years since I'd seen a tiger. But we saw this tiger. I mean, you're like so close. I'm like, ooh, look at that cat. That's one way that I might mean cat. That's a whole lot different than if I see like your little Siamese, whatever. I'm like, ooh, look at that cat. You notice how the meaning changes there? In one, it's like, oh, you're a cute thing, sort of an alien creature. And the other one's like, oh, you can kill me. Like, very, but the same word, though, cat, right? S similarly, uh, afraid in Hebrew can, can also mean uh, just awe or awestruck. And that's what makes sense. I mean, when Jacob wakes from his dream, he's like, wow, God's going to be with me no matter what? 
wow, I can't believe that God's that amazing. I can't believe that, that God's that good. Yeah, this is the feeling of being overwhelmed, right? I think I had the, um, the, the slide, the next slide. Yeah, um, the, the pirate kid slide. What, sort of what's happened in Jacob's life, one of the other cool things about children is that they are, they're, they're awestruck by everything. They think everything's awesome because they've never experienced anything. So everything's new. And everywhere they go, they're like, wow. At least that's how it used to be. Now kids have iPads. I'm telling you, so we're at the wild animal park and there's like, uh, there's like this huge elephant and then like a baby elephant. My kids were asleep at like 10 in the morning. They're like, when is this over? I'm like, wow, I feel like I'm in the African safari. They're like, meh. It's called uh, YouTube Kids, Dad. Get real. Um, what's, what's interesting about that, uh, I, I, on, the, on, the, on the screen there, um, Walker Percy has this book from 1961 called um, The Movie Goer. And this is 1961 when this book comes out. In 1961, you know, now they've got like, uh, I think they have color television at this point. Those of you who were actually alive back then can correct me if I'm making stuff up. Um, <laughs> and they, so they have, they have, I think, color TV. Um, they certainly have uh, magazines like, uh, you know, Life or Time or whatever. Um, maybe even National Geographic. I don't know. And uh, this, this um, Christian author, uh, I think it's Presbyterian, Walker Percy, he writes this book. And, um, and in the book, there's this character who's tortured uh, because he's starting to come to terms with what's going on with mass media. Right? Mass media. He's starting to come to terms with what it's like. No one, no one knew what the, the results of having, you know, images constantly bombarding us would be. And, and, and one of the things he noticed is, is that people now, like in 1961, and it's worse today, but in 1961, instead of going to the Grand Canyon and being like, wow, look at that, they go to the Grand Canyon and they're like, it looks just like the pictures I've already seen. I guess I should take a picture with the a selfie with the Grand Canyon to prove that I was there. But but there's something that's lost, right? Can you? I mean, there's something really weird about that. It's different than what it was like the first time someone saw the Grand Canyon, right? And they never heard about it. They just walk up to like, oh my gosh, there's this huge scar in the earth. And now you go to the Grand Canyon, you're like, well, maybe it'll be scary if I get on one of these donkeys and go down it. I think that's a thing you can do, or at least you used to be able to do it. There's something uh, that's gone on in our culture, and like I said, it's accelerated. And that was 1961. Imagine today. Now we've got Instagram and Facebook. Um, it's, it's phenomenal. It's fascinating. There's nothing shocking. There's nothing awe-inspiring because we've seen it all. And it's crazy. We don't know what's going to happen to our children. We don't know what's going to happen to the next generation when they grow up and they have never known what it is like to be shocked. Have you noticed? Have you noticed how, um, how jaded we have become as a society? Well, part of that is because we're inundated by images all the time. Uh, Richard Dawkins, he uh, invented, or I think, invent, or at least made popular the, the term meme. Richard Dawkins, the, uh, the atheist uh, philosopher slash evolutionary biologist, um, he, he said in his book, The Selfish Gene, he said that what separates human beings um, from other creatures is that we uh, can pass information around like a virus. We can share information quickly um, in a really bite-sized thing that spreads, spreads. Human beings can do this in a way that other uh, animals can't, right? And, and, and what they found is not only can it be ideas, but if you, if you attach those ideas to an image and make it entertaining or funny, it'll just fly 
And everyone will see it instantly. This was, he said this before the internet really took off. Now we know, like, I mean, you open up your Facebook page and there are meme after meme after meme. And ideas are just bombarding your heads constantly all the time. You get a good chuckle. And hey, I'm like, <laughs> I'm the worst here. I mean, no one, no one scans Reddit like, and I, do, I love it. Like, ooh, that's cute. Ooh, that's neat. Ooh, that. Constantly like this, this, this need to be triggered again and again to be like amused or something. And at a certain point, you just, you're just above it all. Everything's funny. Nothing's real. Nothing's shocking. Nothing's awe-inspiring. Because we've seen it all. Hold that. Because we're going to come back to that. But do notice that the very first thing, Jacob's response to God's grace, is what? It's appropriate awe. It's the first thing in your note sheets. Jacob's response, step one, appropriate awe. I mean, Jacob's the guy who like flips out over a dream. We don't even care about the Grand Canyon. And I do believe this is a spiritual issue, and we will talk more about that later. Let's go back to the text. Really cool. Uh, so he's blown away. And uh, remember, if you remember last week, he, he has seen that, that this is sort of like a place, sort of a gate to the heavens, as it were, where God's angels will come down and go back up. They come down, they do their work, they go back up. And God himself is there at this place. And so he's like, this is a special place. I had no idea. I'm going to call it God's house. For those of you who like Bethel music, Bethel, God's, or house of God. That's the Hebrew for house of God. God's house, Bethel music. Um, he names the place, and then what he does, he sets up a pillar. He uses the, one of the rocks as the, his pillow rock, and he puts that down. He probably gets a whole lot of stones from the area and gets this you know, pretty large pillar, and then he pours oil over it. This is popular now with the, um, with the ladies, the essential oils. You laugh, but this is, I mean, this is like, this is the real deal, like, the, what they're doing, what they're trying to capitalize with the essential oils, what they're capitalizing on, is actually something that's um, it's very ancient. Um, the next slide is the picture of oil. In the ancient world, uh, they had not invented deodorant. Uh, the ancient world, they didn't have air conditioning. Uh, in the ancient world, everyone, the ancient world smelled really, really bad. <laughs> it did. It was horrible. Like, everyone was walking around, like, choking all the time. It's not true. Actually, what happens is human beings actually develop, like, an ability to just sort of kind of not pay attention to it. Um, but you're aware of it. Well, uh, oil, or um, and essential oils, aromatic oils, when you've distilled oil down uh, from various plants and sometimes from animal fats and whatnot, it has a, a pleasant scent to it. Moreover, what ancient people found is that if you put it on your body, you sweat less. Um, because it closes up your pores. And so you smell less. And it has a nice little fragrance to it. And so you're, ooh, hey. Not only that, they noticed that when you put um, a lot of oil on your body, uh, they noticed that um, you tend to look younger. It it sort of preserves you. You shine a little bit. And they noticed that people who regularly applied oils, they, uh, they didn't get wrinkles as fast as everybody else. It's a truly magical uh, substance. If you're interested in buying some essential oils, uh, I can point you in the right direction. <laughs> That's nonsense. I believe in science. It's all right. Um, 
But very quickly, what happened was oil then became uh, it's very symbolic for, for, for cleanliness. It became symbolic for purity. It became symbolic for um, preserving or um, holding uh, something the way that it is. And it very quickly became used as something that uh, you, would, you would make say, this is something uh, that can be consecrated. It can be set apart for God. Very expensive uh, oil in the ancient world. And now, from what I understand, it's got to be distilled just right. Don't trust the fake ones. Okay, I'm done. All right. Uh, <laughs> so what Jacob does, Jacob, remember, he's got nothing. He's a cloak on his back. But he takes um, probably his most precious possession at this point, his oil, and he pours it over the stones. And in so doing, what he's, what he's doing is he's, he's saying, um, I'm going to preserve, because oil is a preservative, I'm going to preserve this place, because he's leaving, right? But presumably he's going to come back at some point, and he's going to make it God's house. And so in the interim, he's going to preserve this place uh, for, for God. He's going to make, make it um, young and shining and, and, and whole for God. He's going to purify it. He's going to signify that this place is pure. It's, it's right uh, for, for God. And what he's probably going to do on top of that is he's spending time worshiping. He's, uh, he's setting up this altar, and he's worshiping. Notice God didn't tell him to do any of this. He just does it. Second thing in your note sheets, Jacob's response, step two, weighty worship. I think I just put weight in the note sheets. I printed them out, and I was like, there should be a why there. But because I'm frugal, because the finance committee is always looking over my shoulder, I did not print out any extra copies. So you add the why, and our treasurer will thank you. Wow. Wow. So first he's awed, then he worships, and then what does he do? He takes a vow. If, then. So if God is with me, and he guards me, he gives me food, and clothes, and I get to go back to my dad at his home where my brother's trying to kill me in peace. If God does all that, then, well, God, I got a good deal for you. You do that for me, and I'll let you be my God. Whoa, whoa, you're not, you're not sold yet, God? I'll even build you a little house, a little house of rocks, so you can live there. Well, well, you're still not sold. I'm going to cut you in, 10%. And I'll do it religiously. Can we just go back and just hear what God, how God approached Jacob? Can we hear that? See if, see if this sounds different to you, a little different. I am Yahweh, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. I will give you the ground you're lying on. Your descendants are going to be like the earth's dust. All of the world, every family on earth will be blessed because of you. Listen. I am with you. I will guard you. I will bring you back. I will not leave you. Wait, where's the if-then statement? Where? That doesn't sound like a deal. That just sounds like God's like just, just lavishing a promise on somebody and expecting almost nothing in return. What's going on? That's not how we do, that's not how we do relationships, right? That's not how we do contracts. Go, go back. Jacob's got it right. This is much, this is much more effective. If, in, in order for you, God, to be my God, I have a few things I need to make sure that you're going to take care of for me. 
uh, clothes, journey, peace, da 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 if, if you pull all that off, I'm going to throw some rocks your way, 10%. You're not going to get a better deal from anybody else, God, so you might as well take this one. The end there, uh, I have religiously, really in, it's really more like surely or indeed. Um, but I, I, I took a liberty there because Jacob really is, at this moment, He's just been given the keys to the kingdom. God has promised him everything. He's awed. He worships. And then the next step, the next thing that he goes to is he's like, let's make a deal. He goes from God opening up a relationship to him to let's start a religion. And, I, I, and I, I'm speaking pejoratively of the word religion here. He's, he's turning what was supposed to be just, I'm with you and I love you, into, you do this for me, I do this for you. Tit for tat. Cynic thing or no cheats. Jacob's response, step three, go from relationship to religion. One way to think about what God has done is Jacob wakes up from the dream, and in the dream, God was kind of like the guy who does this. What do you think? Should we do this thing? I want to be with you forever. I love you. And Jacob looks at it, and he's like, yeah, 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 um, but let's talk about the prenup. I mean, I, no, you're great, and and I think this is going to work out. But let's, can I get my lawyer in here just, to, just, just a few ground rules to make sure that everyone gets their needs met, right? Because, you know, if not, we need to kick this thing off and try something different. God's like, let's, I love you. And Jacob's like, I love you too. Um, with conditions, depending on how you perform. If you want to think very clearly about God's grace, it's, it's very much like God proposing to you. Now, when someone proposes to you, the correct response is not, I'm going to call my lawyer and make sure we can hash out terms. The correct response is, yes. Or in some cases, no. But it's certainly not, let's make a deal. And we know this. We know it intuitively. It's interesting. We, we know intuitively that relationships um, don't work if uh, they're based on a contract. Um, we know that relationships fall apart if they're put under the pressure of you do this and I do that. And as soon as you start failing, um, then this thing's over with. In fact, it's really kind of a, one of the interesting things that's going on with our culture is that uh, our culture is, very, is much, very much pushing on the idea of marriage as contract. Marriage as contract. Like, this is our deal. You do this. I do that. And, and by the way, I don't, I don't want anyone to hear. Like, look, if you're, if you're being hurt and abused, you know, that's not a good thing. We don't, we're not encouraging relationships where, you know, abuse is happening or people are taking advantage. Um, it really is supposed to be a mutual giving of love. So just hear that. Um, when, when, when God 
extends his hand in grace to us, our response is not, um, let's you know, make a deal. It's, instead, it's yes. But that's becoming harder and harder and harder for us to do. It's becoming harder and harder because everywhere else in our lives, everything's contractual. And that's not a bad thing. I mean, it's not, contracts are helpful. They're useful. Uh, but they, they really do start to, it's hard to have, um, uh, in fact, the family is one of the last places where we still sort of have this sense of we're just loving each other because we love each other. Jacob makes this huge, huge mistake, and what's really crazy, remember, this is all Jacob's idea. Remember the altar thing? That was Jacob's idea. God didn't say, I need an altar. He didn't say, I need a house. Uh, Jacob is the one who sets up the deal for God. God's like, deal? That's not what I'm trying to do here. I I just want to love you uh, and save the world through you. That's it. It's not, there's no ulterior motive here. Jacob is the one who initiates all this. Human beings initiate this. In fact, we do this all the time with God. And, and the people of Israel, Jacob's uh, descendants, they keep doing this so much that finally God is like, okay, if you want this to be a deal, it'll be a deal. And let's see how that works out for you. Spoiler alert, terribly, because you're not going to be able to keep up your end of the bargain. You say, I'll be your God. Guess what? No, I won't. No, I won't. You say you're going to build a house for me. Oh, you might build me a real nice place, the temple, but then you're going to profane it and destroy it. You're going to cheat people there when I want justice for them. You say that you want a deal. Fine, I'll give you one. And what's going to happen is you're going to fall apart. You're going to fail. And it's all going to be broken down. Instead, instead, what God is desperately crying out for the human race to understand is I don't want deals with you. I don't want religion with you. I want you to operate on grace. I want you to recognize I'm gracious. I'm giving this to you for free. There's no strings attached. I want you to just operate out of grace. And we're so caught up in making everything a rule, everything a contract, everything a tit for tat. I mean, look, so if I, so if I, if like, okay, so Aaron's like, she's had it up to here. She's pregnant. The kids are bothering her. She's like, I'm going for a walk. Because, you know, you've got to have 90 minutes of exercise every day. doesn't matter if you're about to give birth. Maybe that'll pop that thing out. Who knows? So she goes out 90 minutes free from the children. And the whole time I am just, you know, oh, this is impossible. So she comes back and I'm like, okay. You got your 90 minutes. What do I get? And I'm only half joking. It's like, yeah, I love you, but this was hard. Does, does Tommy get cookie? Like, what? What do we get? So even in, like, the simplest aspects of relationship, religion jumps in. And the, the question we have to ask ourselves, if, we're, if really, and the answer to the question is, how do you respond to God's grace? You just accept it. That's it. But then when you're in a relationship with somebody, you have some obligations. There's a way that relationships ought to work. And if we want to have a healthy relationship with God in the same way that we want to have a healthy relationship with a spouse or a friend or a child or whatever, then we have to sort of start thinking in terms of grace rather than uh, religion. Relationship, not religion. And so um, I, I thought a little bit about how to get back to grace, getting back to grace. 
Jacob, he does a great job. Two out of three, but the third one really messes things up. That first one, you know, just appropriate awe. One of the, um, I think I had the picture of the beach. I love the beach. I'm not a good surfer, but I try. Sometimes um, if I go solo, if I'm out by myself, um, and enough time passes, I will start to remember how beautiful it is and how fortunate I am to enjoy it. It, it takes a while because I've lived in Southern California for a very long time. It's become normal to me. And there's a, an element of just kind of taking it for granted. I mean, God's beauty being taken for granted. The same thing happens in uh, a relationship. So, like, if you, uh, if you really want to have a, a gracious moment with um, a friend or a child or a spouse or a grandchild or a grandparent, one of the things that you can do is you can stop taking it for granted for a second and just try to remember why you loved this person in the first place. What was beautiful about this person? Where was the beauty? Not beauty in the sense of physical beauty, although that can be a part of it, but really, where, where do you see um, beauty in this person? All beauty comes from God. And when we access beauty, when we recognize beauty, when we respond to beauty, that's responding to God. In a similar way, God is, is out there, and his beauty is everywhere, and we take it for granted. The, the idea is instead of taking it for granted, to stop and think, why did I love this God in the first place? What attracted me to this God in the first place? And for me, sometimes that's just seeing his beauty in, the, in nature. Other times, it's telling the stories of what he's done for us. Other times, it's just imagining and just reckoning how majestic and glorious he is. But you have, you have to, because we're in a memified culture, because the, the mass media has, has, has blinded us from all shock, from all wonder, from all joy, because it's been ripped away from us, it is an effort now. It is an effort to recognize God's beauty anymore. But if you want to get back to grace, if you want to stop having a religion, tit for tat, you do you, I do me, if you want to avoid that with God, then remember why he's beautiful. Spend some time thinking about it. Spend some time responding to it. The second way uh, we can get back to grace is um, surprise flowers. When I was uh, growing up, my father was a teacher, and he taught at the schools that I went to. And so for most of my education, I would go to school with my dad and then come home with my dad. So we had a lot of time. And probably like maybe two to four times a year, on the way home, we would be driving in the, uh, the 92 Mustang convertible. And instead of um, going straight across La Paz Road, we would stop. And there used to be, maybe it's still there, like a flower shop. No, I think they sell cell phones there now. Anyway, there was a, there was a flower shop there. And uh, my dad, would we'd get out and he'd be like, okay, Tom, um, we're going to get some flowers for your mom. Which one do you think she'll like? I'm like, ooh, that one. He's like, nope, she would not like that at all. I'm like, well, then why did you ask? And then he would, he would choose the, the proper bouquet. He's like, well, Dad, what's this for? He's like, well, 
That's the best part. There's no reason at all. I'm just going to surprise her. Like, well, but then what's in it for you, right? Like, if, if you just, I mean, what? He's like, well, I know she likes him. When was the last time we gave something to God just because we know he likes it? Just because he's great. And here's something that we know just brings him joy. Yeah, we, so you're, you're, you're a guy, right? And we're sitting here and we're singing these songs and it's like, Jesus, you're so beautiful. We're kind of like, oh, it's weird. Kind of like stepping back. I, I get it, I do. Um, but do you understand what worship really is about? It's sort of like surprise flowers for God. It's like, God, you're awesome, and I want to tell you about it. I want to just let you know. I, I know that you appreciate being appreciated, so let me do that. Let me just... When, uh, when, when Jacob, when he, when he brings in that weighty worship, right, when he, he builds that pillar and dumps out that oil, that cost him a lot. That oil wasn't cheap. I mean, when he walks into Haran or wherever he's going, he's going to smell terrible. But he did it because he knew God would appreciate it. When we're, you know, <laughs> did you love? I will give you 10% religiously. Jacob's like, I'm going to check that box right off. Not a penny more, God. <laughs> I've done my duty. <laughs> he's sitting there, he's like, he's like, if I only hit 9%, this, this thing's done. Right? That, that's his mentality with God. When what, what God, God doesn't care about your, t- your tithe. He, he wants to know you love him. I care about your tithes. Don't. Whoa. Let's keep. Come on. Let's not go crazy with our religion. But if you want to get back to grace, uh, you have to be engaged with God, not because of what it's going to get you, but because you love him, because he's great. And there are things that you can do. You can, uh, you can, he loves it when you serve. And you serve his, his children. When he loves it when you take advantage of, of your opportunities to, uh, to, to bless those who are on the outside. Outsiders, people who are on the margins. He loves that. And, and you don't, you're not like, uh, I don't have enough money to tithe, so if I do some prison ministry, I'll probably be okay. No! Surprise flowers. Last but not least, um, I, she, she's not here. Alice, Alice isn't here, right? She's in like some children's thing. Okay, great. Um, Alice has been bugging me to go fishing. So I think we might pull it off today. I have a buddy, um, and, and uh, we're going to try and maybe go fishing. The thing is, I know that about five minutes into fishing, she's going to be like, this sucks. I want out. <laughs> this is boring. And what's even worse, if we actually catch something, she's going to be horrified. I remember when I was, we, once we were at uh, Mammoth uh, with the Eichlers and uh, my buddy Jeff and I were trying to catch this fish and we spent like 45 minutes in this big trout and Jeff finally got the thing. He hooks it and he pulls it up and things like flopping around. So he takes a rock and smashes it in the head. I was like, oh, I never want to do this again. 
You bet we ate that thing. We earned that meal. No, no, no. Alice doesn't care about fishing. She knows it might be something I'm interested in. What does she really want? She just wants to do something together. That's it. She wants to get to know me and me to get to know her. Right? We just spend time together. It's what you do with people that you love. She's not sitting there being like, have I gotten my 15 minutes today? No. She's like, wow, I love spending time with my dad. And I hope there's a way that we can do that, something we can do together, something we both love. You know, when you're, you're out there serving or you're out there um, praying or you're out, uh, you know, spending time reading the scriptures or whatever it is you're doing, it's, you're not checking a box off. You're getting to know your God. You're spending time with him because that's what people who love each other do. And the converse of all of this is not only is this our way of getting to love God, getting back to grace with God, it's also, I mean, for some of us and for a lot of us probably, this might be a reminder, this is how we get back to grace with each other. Right? With our friends, with our church family, with our real family, with our blood family, with our spouses and children. It, we might be in a situation where everyone around us is operating according to a bunch of rules, and if you violate the rules, you're out, and if you don't violate the rules, you can remain in, and that's how we're doing relationships. It, did, you know, did you get me a present? Because if you got me a present, then I got to get you a present, and then back forth. We are, that, that might be how we're operating with the people in our lives. Let's get back to grace with them, too. And let's just see what happens when people, <laughs> I guarantee you, people will like you a lot more if your gifts aren't hooks in their mouths, if, um, if you're just there because you appreciate them. It seems simple, I know, but it actually gets really hard in real life. That's why we have to work at it. But then imagine what happens. Imagine what could happen here, in your life, in your family, um, in our church, if we really got back to grace and we weren't doing things because we owed it, because it was our duty, we were doing things because we love, because our God is worth it, because he's rad, because he did amazing things and continues to do amazing things. Because he's the creator of the universe. He is majestic. He is glorious. He is grace-giving. He is reaching out and saying, please, I want to I be with you forever. Will you just say yes? Let's say yes. Let's pray. Gracious God and Father, we confess that you really are gracious. It really is grace. It's not it's not religion, it's not a contract, it's not a duty. But you've looked on us and you've loved us and you've wanted to be with us. You've wanted to save us and change us and redeem us and do life with us and give us purpose and give us joy. That you're a good, loving God with good, loving gifts that are just gifts. God, I pray against any spirit of reciprocity in this place. Any spirit of, of I've got to do this for you, God, because you did this for me. Any, any spirit of that against each other. 
I got to do this for you because you did this. God, rip that out of our church. Rip that out of our hearts. God, instead, replace it with the joy that comes from just giving to give. The joy that comes from noticing all the things that we love about you and about each other again. The joy that comes from surprise flowers to you and to each other. Just gifts because they're gifts. And God, let us just desire to spend time with you because you're worth getting to know. A blessing on all of us here, God, as we seek to be in relationship with you and not just doing religion. In Jesus' name, amen.